All right, so I want to talk about something that needs to end. Vice.com. Stigma puts sex workers at higher risk of HIV. Sex workers and other marginalized demographics have always bore the brunt of cultural stigma around HIV. More than 30 years after the onset of the AIDS epidemic, the disease persists with real people paying the price. By Diana Toige, December 1st, 2015, 12, 10 p.m. Like any other industry, sex work comes with its own job-related risk. The possibility of acquiring an STI like HIV is a concern, as are threats to physical and mental health. However, unlike other professions where risk is curbed through standard health and safety regulations, society has made sex work unnecessarily dangerous. Stigmatization, which ranges from the public perception of sex workers as morally corrupt and socially unproductive, to laws that criminalize their profession is central to that. While stigma itself can easily marginalize and alienate a demographic, a series of intersecting stereotypes and, inequ and inequities coalesce for sex workers. So then it says, Earlier this year, sex worker and advocate Grace Bellevue died by suicide. Before her passing, she had been a fierce advocate for decriminalization. The note she left on her Facebook page for taking her own life account spoke to the harrowing, horrifying reality she endured as a sex worker. It isn't an industry per se, it's just accumulated post-traumatic stress and constantly guarding her back or screening. I've had guns put to my head, yelled at too many people, removed people from clubhouses, been approached by lawyers from all sides of the fence, approached to run parlors, watched a lot of people slip and fall in a bath with their throats slit. She wrote. Whew. Many argue this kind of violence and risk is amplified because of the criminalization of sex work, not the other way around. In the wake of Bellevue's passing, sex workers have called for mental health services that are customized for their needs. Could the violence that traumatized Bellevue been stopped if her profession were not illegal in her state? Karma, a sex positive feminist, says she entered the sex industry after becoming fascinated by Bellevue's work and other high-profile sex workers in college. I read their blogs, looked at the various brothels and escort agencies around Sydney, she told broadly in an email. I considered stripping too uncoordinated, sugaring too much effort and being an independent escort, steep learning curve. She eventually decided to on a fancy brothel in Sydney called Stiletto because, as she noted, Time Out magazine described it as the Taj Mahal of Sydney brothels. Karma was giving an interview, was so eager to begin that she jumped straight on a bus from her school's 
school library to the brothel. That was two and a half years ago she's been a sex worker ever since. For many sex workers, the stigma of the sex industry prevents them from accessing adequate health care. Stigma against sex workers is a huge negative influence on mental health, Palmer said. She has an excellent vantage point. Unlike, Be unlike Bellevue, she lives in a state where prostitution is decriminalized. Because she works in a legal brothel, Palmer says she's in a fairly safe environment, but she understands the risks of the trade very well. The fact that it is legal and legitimate creates less room for intolerance, she said. She thinks she deals with less judgment from others, including friends and acquaintances, because her work has not been made criminal. That's a big deal because social rejection plays a significant role in marginalization, which isolates people from the resources meant to protect them. For many sex workers, the stigma of the sex industry prevents them from accessing adequate health care which puts them at increased risk of contracting HIV slash AIDS. It's been more than three decades and the epidemic of HIV slash AIDS is far from over. The UNH 2015 fact sheet states that 36.9 million people are living with HIV at the end of last year, and 25.3 million have died from AIDS-related complications since the year 2000. Less than half of those living with the disease are currently assessing anti retroviral medication, anti-retroviral medication. But new infections have dropped 35% in the last 15 years, giving hope to leaders in the fight to end AIDS. HIV slash AIDS is not just an illness. The epidemic initially took hold within gay male subcultures in the 1980s because American society was intensely homophobic at that time. The cultural perception of HIV slash AIDS fused with existing prejudices. American citizens were dying by the thousands before anything was done to understand or end the public health crisis. Because AIDS impacted a marginal stigmatized group, it was allowed to persist. The disease was killing mostly gay men in metropolitan tenderloins, and it was known as the gay cancer. Despite the passage of time and educational advocacy work that has striven to correct inaccurate stereotypes about HIV slash AIDS, stigma persists worldwide. Even today, more than 30 years later, HIV diagnoses are burdened with undue stigma. And for populations that are already marginalized like sex workers, the stigma of HIV slash AIDS is particularly dangerous because it magnifies otherwise manageable risk. It isn't possible to end HIV until stigma and its reflection in biased laws and policies are eliminated. Catherine Hansen is the founder of the Center for HIV Law and Policy, CHLP. Organization works for the rights of people affected by HIV. Hansen told Barali, it isn't possible to make a full life possible for people living with HIV, let alone in HIV, until stigma and its reflection in biased laws and policies are eliminated. Since CHLP formed, the organization has focused on the conditions and discrimination imposed on young people in detention and foster care facilities and the horrific injustice and public health inconsistency of HIV criminal laws, Hansen said. If anything, we have increased our focus on the intersection of HIV criminal justice system and the social slash political capital of affected populations. That is where the rubber hits the road, in my opinion. The organization is working against the systems that stigmatize HIV. Those prejudices and biases are widespread, neither singular nor simple. CHLP co-director Allison Nick 
Nicole explained, there are many stigmas in play related to the spread of the HIV virus. Stigma attached to homelessness, poverty, unemployment, overuse of drugs and alcohol, disabilities, including mental illness, CLBTI status, and sex work, among others, all can play a role. Lack of research is part of the problem. Broadly contacted the Center for Disease Control, CDC, seeking comment about the prevalence of HIV slash AIDS in the sex working community. Um, Brian Katzowitz from CDC's National Center for HIV slash AIDS, viral hepatitis, STD, and TB prevention responded, stating that, unfortunately, we have no, we, unfortunately, we have virtually no data on prevalence of HIV among the sex worker population, so there's not a lot of insight we can provide. HIV slash AIDS is still stigmatized, Karma said. Sexual health is a primary concern for many sex workers, but that's not always enough to stay protected. She noted, she noted, arguing that the only true solution is to eradicate all laws that criminalize the profession and institute protective policies and practices to empower and benefit sex workers' health, success, and well-being. Karma is a fantastic human being. We share the same thought patterns. We share the same brains. Sex workers are a key population for HIV transmission risk. Stigma, marginalization, and risk exist wherever punitive laws against sex work are in place. That is the truth. I think um, Bellevue would still be alive if sex work was fully decriminalized in my view. Pepe Rodriguez, the coordinator of CHLP's program to provide youth in state custody to comprehensive LGBTQIA plus inclusive sexual health care and education. Yeah, we, we need that. Agrees, without legislative support, self-advocacy and best safety practices will always fall short, she told Bradley. Despite being more knowledgeable general generally than the general population about sexual health and risk reduction strategies. Sex workers are a key population for HIV transmission and risk, he said. Stigma, marginalization, and risk exists wherever punitive laws against sex work are in place. When it's 116 countries of 2012. Shameful. I'm saying that shameful. Rodriguez noted that in countries that have decriminalized sex work, the profession is burdened only by standard occupational health and safety regulations. These countries have higher rates of condom use and sex workers are able to organize community-based health practices that demonstrably improve health and reduce HIV risk. All those 116 countries should go in that direction. That's me saying that. In August of this year, the Global Human Rights Organization and its international AI called for the university to come up In August of this year, the Global Human Rights Organization, Amnesty International, AI, called for the universal decriminalization of consensual sex work. AI, you rock. AI Secretary General Salil Shetty said, sex workers are one of the most marginalized groups in the world who in most instances face constant risk of discrimination, violence, and abuse. This incited global discourse on the, on the decriminalization of sex work. As Carmen sees it, Sydney and Melbourne are inspiring models for other regions because they have progressive prostitution laws. Awesome. 
There are still people who don't get it, she wrote, but the fact that it is legal and legitimate creates less room for intolerance. Awesome. Decriminalization is a huge step in reducing the stigma of sex work or any other victimless crime such as drug use. Awesome. According to Karma in Australia, rates of HIV infection are lower in female sex workers compared to the general population due to decriminalization, education, accessing health services, access to health services, and diligence using condoms and practicing safer sex. Our bodies are our business, so it is our best interest to protect it. She's citing data put out by AIDS 2014, the 20th annual AIDS conference in Melbourne, Australia. As many as a quarter of street-based sex workers report feeling pressure to have sex with a client without using a condom. Uh, that is fucked up. According to a study released by UK Medical Journal, The Lancet in 2014, in areas where sex work is recognized as a legitimate profession, the likelihood of acquiring HIV is reduced by 32%. Criminalization raises HIV risk in sex work population and populations in part by discouraging as much as one third of sex workers from carrying protection. In some regions, condoms constitute evidence of illegal sex work. <sighs> Lack of logic bothers me. The risks facing sex workers vary drastically from region to region, as well as between the different forms of sex work that people engage in. While karma works in a legal brothel, many sex workers in the world do not have that choice. Only about 20% of sex workers in the United States are street-based, Rodriguez says. Most sex workers see clients in massage parlors, brothels, shared housing, or hotel rooms, often connecting and arranging meetings with clients online. Rodriguez explained that people who practice sex work on the street are subject to a higher incidence of violence, both from their clientele and abusive law enforcement. Further, risk reduction strategies such as screening clients during price and condom use negotiations are jeopardized since fear of law enforcement crackdowns compel sex workers to move quickly and cut these negotiations short. This diminishes the sex workers' ability to screen out clients with whom they may not feel safe. If a client does become violent, street-based sex workers don't have the protection that others might. Barrica says that these risks may be fueled by clients' knowledge that sex workers ought to have no legal recourse. And this doesn't just put sex workers at a risk of physical violence, as Barrica noted. As many as a quarter of street-based sex workers report feeling pressure to have sex with a client without using a condom. This is exacerbated in jurisdictions with condoms as evidence policies and practices. Judging by these statements of CHLP and Karma's experience, systems of law are not serving sex workers. Their lives are put at risk because they are criminalized, stigmatized, pushed far from the resources the rest of society relies upon. There are many well-known and documented factors that coalesce causing HIV slash AIDS to persist. These factors we as a society created. I've only walked out on a couple of bookings, Karma said. One, because the client repeatedly tried to kiss me on the mouth. Oh, no, we're, just, we're just going to ignore that. Give me a minute. So I'm going to put ringer mute on because life happens. So... I'm still going to do this episode. I will start from the top. I am so sorry for that phone ringing. You know, house phones. Silly, silly. But 
the show must go on. There are many well-known and documented factors. These call there are many well-known and documented factors that coalesce, causing HIV/AIDS to persist. These factors we as a society created. I've only walked out on a couple of bookings. Karma said one because the client repeatedly tried to kiss me on the mouth despite not paying the additional fee. Another because he was just be another because he was just really rude and disrespectful. So okay, so. The second client was an asshole. The first client was a creep weirdo. I realize I'm very lucky to have not had to deal with a forceful client because many other women have had bad experiences. Many other women have had bad experiences with this. I have never felt in danger at work. The establishment offers security. There are cameras everywhere, but inside the rooms, a security guard on duty and an intercom in every room. I'm starting to think that would be nice if they had that in all sex workplaces. That could be a part of the universal full decriminalization of sex work between consensual adults, which I'm in full support of. I have not contracted an STI since I started working in this industry. Mayo Schraber is an expert in criminal law and the deputy director of CHLP. According to him, there are many well-known and documented factors that coalesce causing HIV slash AIDS to persist. They're not outside of us or somehow foreign to the way we live. These factors we as a society created and sanctified Schraber, Schreiber, sorry, Schreiber said, they are the result of national and local political decisions for which we are responsible. HIV criminal laws that stigmatize and harshly punish people who take the responsibility to get tested or sex workers who carry condoms, a lack of syringe exchange programs, a lack of sexual health programs or condoms in prisons and jails, the failure to provide affordable health insurance and housing for all of our citizens, the failure to provide comprehensive sexual health literacy programs, particularly for young people, parental refusal to accept adolescents' sexual orientation or gender identity that forced them onto the streets, etc. I'll also add parental refusal to accept adolescents' sex characteristics that forced them onto the streets, etc. as well. These factors have the greatest impact on those in our nation with the least amount of political and economic capital. The young, the impoverished people of color, men who have sex with men, LGBTQI+, persons, transgender people, persons who overuse drugs, sex workers, prisoners, is primarily they who bear the brunt of the political decisions allowing HIV slash AIDS to exist, but it is everyone in this country that pays the price. I want to quickly say this. More people who are heterosexual have STIs and STDs than the LGBTQ plus community. So HIV slash AIDS is not a gay person's disease. More cisgender people have it than uh, transgender people. These are facts. I'm not creating a war of gender sexual diversity. I'm just saying the truth. Um, So 
I'll, I'll talk about this interesting article. Let me make sure I'm covering everything. Because sometimes other articles come out that I originally planned, but they interest me. So I'm like, ooh, I got to do an episode on this, right? Here we go. New bill gives police unchecked power over sex workers, advocate says. Two months after the Atlanta shootings exposed how poorly police treat sex workers, Doug Ford's government's work of legislation that makes it even easier to target them by Enya Sola Dzowski, Toronto, Canada, May 14, 2021. Nearly two months after the Atlanta shootings, the conservative government of Canada is working on new anti-trafficking legislation that will make it easier, not more difficult for police to target sex workers, advocate says. On March 17th, a white gunman opened fire at three Atlanta massage parlors, leaving eight people dead, including six Asian women. During a press conference the following day, local police didn't acknowledge the roles racism and anti-sex work discrimination played. Instead, said the gunman was having a bad day. Those shitbags can kiss my ass. They can go to hell and fuck them. I'm saying that. Police across the U.S. later vowed to deploy more officers in order to combat the concerning rise in anti-Asian racism. Yes, combating anti-Asian racism is something we should be doing each and every day. And I acknowledge the roles that racism, anti-sexual discrimination played in their senseless deaths. Violent deaths, sadly. The shootings prompted several organizations across Canada and the U.S. to demand that governments and police avoid policing sex worker communities. But now Doug Ford's government in, on, in Ontario's work on an anti-trafficking bill that force hotels to register all people entering rooms, including names and addresses, information that police can later request without a court order as long as they are urged and reasonable grounds to suspect a trafficking victim is at risk. Sex trafficking and consensual sex work are never the same thing. We have people being exploited, but they don't listen to us, said Eileen Lane, Executive Director of Butterfly Advocacy Group for Asian Migrant Sex Workers in Toronto. We share our concerns with not being included. If Bill 251 or the Combating Human Trafficking Act is passed, by law inspectors will also enjoy authority to enter any place suspected of trafficking without a warrant or notice at any time. Anyone who refuses to welcome an inspector or opts not to answer questions can face a fine of up to $50,000. It's an unchecked expansion of police power, Lamb said. This isn't necessary because if the police are suspicious, they can already get a court order. According to Lamb, the bill violates privacy and human rights. Agreed. In a statement to Vice World News Ontario, Solicitor General Spokesperson Stephen Warner said his team has already engaged with sex workers. Awesome. By the way, um, I was reading the past article. I think that uh, sex work uh, places should provide, uh, you know, safe sex equipment. Uh, 
I'm supportive of the health of sex workers myself. Health is so important. And I want to say one more thing about this. I um I'm just getting my thoughts together. Sex workers should be allowed to freely carry condoms. They should have the right to get tested. There should be condoms in prisons and jails. There should be overabundance of comprehensive sexual programs and all over the world, and even in prisons and jails. There should be an overabundance of syringe exchange programs. There should be providing affordable health insurance and housing for all of our citizens, including sex workers. And parents should be embracing of their adolescents' gender and sexual diversity and not have them on the streets. There should be um, comprehensive sexual health literacy programs, particularly for young people. Um, and no one should have the HIV slash AIDS stigmas. And there should be legal recourse for sex workers. Um, and there's nothing wrong with carrying protection. There should be decriminalization education, access to health services, and diligence in using condoms, practicing safer sex, absolutely for sex workers. Um, I think there should be protective policies and practice to empower benefit sex workers with health, success, and well-being. I think so. We have to eradicate homelessness, poverty, unemployment, overuse of drugs, alcohol. Right? We have to um, treat mental illness with respect. We have to treat disabilities with respect. GLBTI status and sex work, we have to treat those with respect. We have to eradicate the HIV criminal laws. We have to be loving uh, people in foster care facilities and detention, right? In the horrific injustice in those places. Again, there should there should be. I love the whole. I, I think sex work establishments often should offer security and cameras everywhere. And but inside the room, security guard or do them in the common every room. I think there should be also a sex work um, environments in my view. Nobody should be pressured to protect sex. Get on back to what I was saying earlier.
In a statement to Vice World News, Ontario Solicitor General spokesperson Stephen Warner said his team is already engaged with sex workers. This legislation's purpose is to deter human trafficking. Report investigations into suspected human trafficking help identify and locate victims of human trafficking. The legislation does not target sex workers, Warner said, claiming that the average trafficking victim is 13 years old. The Ontario government is using a 2013 statistic released by the Canadian Women's Foundation, a charity that advocates for women and girls. The government thinks that the government thinks all this powers to help and rescue youth, but people traffic is more than ground land says. They're just giving law enforcement power for racial profiling and targeting sex workers. Lamb said not only is the advice she and others have been offering, such as police cooperation, advocacy groups, and implementing labor rights for sex workers, I think that is all awesome in terms of what Lamb is saying. And when she talked about the police cooperation advocacy workers and implementing labor rights for sex workers, yes, yes, I'm for all those. Isn't being adopted, the government has also not invited some of the key stakeholders to, to participate in discussions. The bill is being debated before Ontario's standing committee on justice policy this week. According to Butterfly and other advocacy groups, including HIV Legal Network, the No Pride in Policing Coalition, and Maggie's Toronto Sex Workers Action Project. Nice. The, I like the Toronto. I like the Toronto Sex Workers Action Project. That's what I was saying. The Pride Policing Coalition, HIV Legal Network. Oh, I love those advocacy groups. The bill will enable police to profile sex workers and people of color. That is shitty. Sex work, which is consensual by definition, is regularly conflated with human and sex trafficking, and that never should happen. And Vice World News previously reported how anti-trafficking raids are often in guise for law enforcement to target sex workers. Shitty again. Or for Canadian border services to seek out migrant sex workers by legal status. Shitty for the third time. Um, in April 2018, Butterfly published a report that included 18 migrant or Asian sex workers detailing examples of anti-sex trafficking rates that harmed sex workers. 18 of them were deported by the time of publication. The only thing I can think of is shitty and fucked up. You know, those are the only words I can say right now. Black, indigenous, and people of color will also be disproportionately harmed by the bill, advocates said. Shitty and fucked up. In a press conference held by Butterfly and others on Tuesday, Robin Maynard, activist and writer of Policing Black Lives, won the legislation allowed police to further profile Black women. Shitty and fucked up. My own research shows that Black women are often assumed to profile to involved in sex work merely for existing in public space, Maynard said. Black women involved in sex with experience, police profiling, targeted arrests, and even violence. Shitty and fucked up. Bill 251 is the only latest piece of legislation in Ontario, 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 that endangers sex workers. Previous anti-trafficking bills, as well as local bylaws, including one in Toronto that denies massage parlor workers the right to lock their storefronts, shitty and fucked up, has been called out for the harm they caused. Damn right, these motherfuckers should be called out for the shit they're fucking doing. Last year, a man with a large machete killed Ashley Noel Ozarka, 24-year-old massage parlor worker and mother of one, 
a tragedy that could have been invented, a tragedy that could have been avoided if the door was locked. Shitty and fucked up. That's shitty and fucked up. Um. Wow, I hate that though. Man, I keep finding so many articles. I think I'm just, I'm just going for it. Okay. You know, I think I'm going to read this. I'll do those articles later, but this one is so long. And there's nothing wrong with being long. I just, I know it's going to take a lot of good time, so... I'll just go through this whole list of, this is a dead porn star list. I don't want to read um, the first things they said because it could be insensitive, but I really want to um, highlight what is happening in our world. So you have, the, these are all the porn stars who have died. So you have Adam Wilde, his date of death, June 4, 2008, cause of death, unsure. Adonis Cheeks, cause of death, suicide, date of death, November 1, 2019. Exact date of death unknown at this time. Date entered is date news became public. Adrian Hoven, cause of death, medical. Date of death, April 8, 1981. Andriana Annalise, murder. Killed by her husband in a murder-suicide, November 21st, 2008. Agatha de Mello, murder, December 4th, 2013. Ash Nana, medical, death, uh, January 29th, 2014. Adin Bonini, um, He died of. Wait a minute. So, Aish Nana. Aish Nana. She had a medical death January 29, 2014. So, Aiden Bonini. His was medical meningitis. That was his death. March 26, 2007, Aiden was sadly taken from this world earlier this week. He was just 21 years old. Fate or God or some other known force that had having decided that his time on Earth is over. Blake Mason said that. Aileen DaCosta, medical. She died in 2011, age 23, of cerebral vascular accident. Aja, unsure. Aja died on vacation in Mexico. Details on how she died is a mystery to this very day, December, September 8th, 2006. Aja again, unsure, unknown cause of death, November 18th, 2006. We send thanks to Tony Cooper who helped track down some details of the story. A business search on her production company those many aliases of Asia's, aka's of Asia's, including Barbara Cunningham, the obit mentions two children, Donald Cunningham, Elizabeth Cunningham, and Tan and Tangaway, the name of the obit. Okay. 
Al Goldstein, medical, renal failure, December 12, 2013. Al Parker, AIDS, August 17, 1992. Also known as Andrew Robert Oaken, his friends called him Drew. Al Goldstein, the scabrous publisher whose screw magazine pub hardcore pornography into the culture mainstream died on Thursday at a nursing home in Colville Hill, Brooklyn. He was 77. Elaine Payet, medical, cancer, December 13, 2007, he died in Paris of cancer. And so they repeated that fact. Elaine Payet, medical, cancer, December 13, 2007, died in Paris of cancer. Elaine Fonte, cause of death unsure, January 4, 2011. Alan Lambert, suicide, suicide by gunshot, December 1992. Elena Farriara, murder, stabbed to death, May 16, 2019. Alberto Pavlon, unsure, November 12, 1997. Aldo Raleigh, medical, March 6, 2016. Aldo Ray, medical, cancer, March 27, 1991. Aldo Sambrell, medical, July 10th, 2010. Alessandro Lavarelli, medical, November 5th, 1996. Alex Kolak, medical, died of a heart attack, October 1st, 2019. Exact date of death is unknown, late September, early October. Alex Dorenzi, medical, stroke, diabetic attack, June 8th, 2001, prolific director of Pioneer. Alex James, medical, heart attack, February 15th, 2021, this year. Exact date of death is unknown. Alex Jordan, suicide, self-inflicted asphyxiation by hanging, July 2nd, 1995. Alex Main, unsure, July 6, 2010. Alex Maxson, suicide, October 3rd, 2015. As reported by fellow college dudes performer Sam Northman in a now unavailable tweet. Alex Riley, unsure, May 9th, 2021, two months ago. Alex Stone, unsure, July 20, 2013. He was active from 1989 through 2000, being one of the first discoveries for Shishi LaRue. Alexander Grill, medical. May 22nd, 2009. Alexander Gustavo, suicide, self-inflicted gunshot wound. December 17, 2016. Started his porn career with Jet Sot and Hot House. Over the last few years though, he did some trans and straight porn. Alexandra Stein, accidental, hit by a car, June 26, 2019. On June 26, Alexandra left us forever. His young wife was hit by a car as it crossed the street on a pedestrian crossing in Salt Lake City, USA. A street bar broadcasted classical music and she was smiling so she was found by the rescue. Alexandre, accidental, 
he and his girlfriend died due to an accidental gas intoxication January 4, 2000. Alexis Grace, medical natural causes, August 16, 2015. Grace's fiance, Jonathan, told Adrian that her death as of now is from natural causes that her family's waiting a report from the medical examiner. He said when he went out to get his car service Tuesday, that paramedics that paramedics were called to their home and found Grace unresponsive. He said she had been dealing with an asthma condition, had experienced trouble with her breathing for the last few months. Alfonso Balcazar, medical, December 28, 1993. That's the year I was born. Ooh. Alfonso Brescia, medical, June 6, 2001. Alfonso Del Rio, medical, January 16, 2002. Alfonso Ribeiro, medical, meningitis, January 1st, 2001, also named Eduardo. Alfred Balu, medical, February 17, 1982. Alicia Monet, unsure, September 12, 2002. Alicia Tyler, medical, had stomach issues and asthma, August 11, 2013. Aliha Anderson, unsure. April 22, 2011. Aline Rios, murder. She suffered from domestic violence in May, which she went to a coma until her death, September 1, 2020. Alan Gassman, AIDS, April 12, 2010. He wound up working against a drug he himself was, was secretly addicted to and got found out and returned to, to New York to die there to sleep of the combined effects of drugs and AIDS, Patrick told Gavian.com. Aliyah Yi, unsure, October 20, 2012. Alois Brummer, accidental, April 5, 1984. Alvin Lindman, unsure, September 19, 2011. Amanda, murder. March 28, 2010. Amanda Unsure, August 11, 2017. Amanda Anderson, murder, November 23, 2008. Amanda Pocahontas, medical complications caused by industrial silicone injections, December 7, 2015. Amaya, medical, June 15, 2015. Amber Rain, overdose, accidental cocaine overdose, April 2, 2016. Adult film actress Amber Rain, who died in April at age 31, perished as a result of a cocaine overdose. A spokesman for the Los Angeles County Medical Examiner's Office told the rap on Friday. Amber Sexum, overdose, heroin overdose. July 26, 2002, according to Mike South, the Pinellas County coroner listed her cause of death as heroin overdose after autopsy was done. And Maria LeVay, murder. Gun down. September 1st, 2017. She and an acquaintance were shot while they were in a car. She had a small porn career, but was more well known as an indie horror flick actress. Amy Jordan, medical, passing her sleep. June 11, 2010, via Lucas, Lucas back. Also, she the link to her memorial service, which appears to be posted by a funeral home. Thanks, Ellen. So sad, so sad by report that 19 year old 
Amy Jordan had passed away in her sleep. No cause of death is being reported. One of her friends had told me that there were no drugs found in her system, but truthfully, since it usually takes weeks to get those kinds of results, I questioned that statement. Ana Mari, unsure, March 10th, 1985. And Anastasia Blue, overdose, OD, July 19th, 2008. Andre Cowboy, murder, June 1st, 2011. Andrea Albani, AIDS, acute Manning, showing cephalitis caused by the HIV virus that causes AIDS. January 18th, 1994. Andrea Tamai, unsure, suicide, March 28th, 2016. Andreas Mankoff, medical, October 9th, 2015. Andrea Dean, Andrew Dean, unsure, May 11th, 2008, unknown cause of death for the English born actor. Um, I don't want to dumb people down because I, I know, I don't, you know, I want to make sure that people get the point. So basically you have the cause of deaths are either suicide, hanging, opiates, make no mention of cause of death. You have, wow, unconformed report says she committed suicide of an unfulfilled love affair, car wrecks. Car accidents, complications due to pneumonia, multiple sclerosis. Died in a car crash, passed away in his sleep, accidental overdose. They don't even know the exact dates of some of these people. Complications related to pneumonia. Her death was due to health complications brought about by silicone injections meant to increase her breast size. Wow. Wow. Um, AIDS. And a few of them were able to die of old age. Bitten by a snake and chose not to seek medical attention for the fight. Wow. Motorcycle accident, cardiac arrest, lung cancer, heart attacks, brain malignancy. Killed by her husband in murder, suicide. Catching, catching pneumonia that eventually put her into a coma. Unclear whether it was suicide or murder, death by hanging, or car crashes. I'm not being funny. I'm just trying to sympathize as best I can. So you got brain tumors, heart attacks. Murder stabbed multiple times. Self-inflicted gunshot wounds. Liver failure, murdered by a client. Had battled pancreatic cancer for eight years, routine touring and recording.
pneumonia, murder, liver failure, shot to death by boyfriend. Unexpectedly passed with age of 40, shot and killed in Dallas, Texas. Suffering from drug addiction, she stopped her current names and died from an overdose. I think I'm going to do a full, because I don't want to, for some of them, the family did not release details. Died during a standoff with police. Bert. Accidental OD. Blessing and stabbed to death. Shot to death by a convenience store in West Palm Beach, Florida. The reason why I didn't name all of these because I didn't want to be too depressing. I wanted to get to the point and mention, oh, I killed in a crash with a single engine plane. Wow, so basically they die of complicated diseases or die violently or die of testicular cancer. So I named some of them, wow, falling from a balcony, falling to their death. And so basically, dementia. All right, let me get to the point. So basically, um, I found, I'm sorry, I just keep finding more. I'm gonna get back to it. Found dead, beaten in a Maryland hotel room, shot by his brother Jim, shot after an argument. Million liver problems. Unknown causes of death. Wow. Wow. Dab during lovers coral. Overdose crystal meth. Um Actual dense circumstances of passing unknown. Died during a police arrest, kidney failure, cancer, brain aneurysm. Wow. Motorcycle accident. Engaged disease, not disease. 
still gonna fight. Wow. Diagnosed with stage four cervical cancer shortly before passing suicide by cop incident, drowned in own bathtub. Boating accident. Suicide from jumping, pneumonia slash Alzheimer's disease, long illnesses passed away, uh, insufficiency of multiple organs. Accidental electrocution, non-aceroidic cancer lymphoma, Carbon monoxide poisoning. Dietoseptis. I think y'all get the point. I think I'm going to stop there. Um, I wanted to address what I was saying, but not it so much because it's just sad. Plus, I didn't want to be redundant sharing the same types of deaths over and over again. Um, I don't like to dumb people down, but I do like to get to the point. But at the same time, I don't want to be too depressing, but I can't sweep things under the rug. So I named some of them. I named, some, you know, the deaths that they died. And, um, you know, like one person actually developed those antipsychotic prescription drugs, those kind of things. So I was like, well, there's no other bad during lovers called That's just wow. But bile ducts are cancer. Okay, I'm going to go stop now. Um, after I say this one, heart attack after accidental drug overdose. Wow. Okay. Now I'm going to stop. So possibly with failure. Okay, Antonio, stop. All right. So, this is really horrible. These are all horrible. These are, these are the very things that are happening to sex workers. Okay, one more than I really stopped. Was beaten to death and had brain hemorrhage 24. So, this is how kidney endosurgical issues. I'm trying, but I keep carrying, you know, I keep finding and shot in the head, brief illness, undisclosed, esophageal cancer, auto accident, age-related kidney disease, accidentally shot during drug-filled sex game with a gun gone wrong, suicide od on pills of some sort, Die from a fall in the bathroom caused by masculine taking pills.
Wow. I'm a really stock cook. There's nothing new to say. But all these deaths and these names of people, as a society, we have to wake up. We have to really love people for real. Absolutely, we gotta love folks. Uh, regardless of what they do in life, we gotta love people. You know what I mean? Why is pornography legal and prostitution not? It seems like the headlines are constantly filled with news stories and politicians quite literally cut their pants down in scandals of prostitutes. That's what this is often raises the question of why we do not treat prostitution the same as was pornography. Why is sex for money okay in one setting and not another? The distinction, is a, the distinction is a very fine one and comes down to a string of cases finding that porn performances actually constitute acting subject to artistic expression protections of the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. Thus, the distinction is that, at least in theory, porn stars are paid to act and prostitutes are paid for sex. Performers may engage in sex as part of their roles, but that does not count as sex for hire. Sex in the course of creating a movie or a photo is an expression protected under the First Amendment. Generally, the one paying for the sex is also different than the one receiving the benefit of that act, further distancing from it from a strictly sex for money arrangement. However, some free speech advocates argue that even first person movies should be afforded this protection, though no significant cases have gone to court. While recorded, uh, sexual performances have been relatively protected, live performances are much less so. Compared with sexually explicit media, live sex shows have very little protection under the law. The Supreme Court of Oregon did overturn two state laws concerning sex shows on free speech and expression grounds in 2005. The turning point in the porn and prostitution debate occurred in the 1980s in California. Prosecutors argued that an adult film producer named Harold Freeman was guilty of pimping because he had hired five women to perform sex acts for a movie called Caught from Behind Two. The state's highest court ruled that anti-panner and anti-pimping laws were not intended to apply to porn films that Freeman was not paying his performance for the purpose of sexual arousal or gratification in the zone of the actors. The court also said that even if the actors had engaged in prostitution, applying anti-pandering laws to these acts, to these act-out performances would impinge on the First Amendment. Indeed, the California court Ferguson that applying anti-pandering prostitution laws in the situation could create a slippery slope of regulation that could be imposed against less and less explicit content, such as love scenes in art films and art films. Pornography has had a contentious relationship with the law since the middle of the 20th century when, in the U.S. Supreme Court case of Rose versus United States, Justice William Brennan not only wrote that obscenity was not protected by the First Amendment, but also narrowed the definition of obscenity, effectively legitimizing most pornography. The Rose Court indicated that obscene material can only be identified by asking whether the material as a whole appealed to an average person's prurient interest. Later, Massachusetts case created a three-pong test. A work was obscene if it appealed to prurient interest. Offended some uh, um, wait a minute. A work was seen if it appealed to prurient interest offended community standards had no social value. Prosecutors realized, however, that everything could be construed to have some social value. Thus, the current standard called the Miller Test now specifically singles out work that lacks any serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. Since California versus Freeman, 
prosecutors in other states have largely avoided challenging the distinction between prostitution and pornography. The legal buffer afforded by the ruling allowed the adult film industry to proliferate in the Golden State. If a similar decision was handed down in another state, it might act, attract unwanted business from the porn industry. I'm going to make this simple point. I think prostitution and pornography should be both fully decriminalized and fully legalized and fully regulated. I just make things simple and plain. Let me get to this. A sex worker reveals how the COVID-19 pandemic has changed sex work. Susanna Breslin. Um, in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic crisis, a veteran sex worker, we'll call her anonymous, was a woman, has found the landscape of sex work radically transformed. Based in a smaller city in her early 30s, anonymous has done a range of different types of sex work, including, ex including escorting, most for adult life. A few years ago, I went from full-time to part-time and I've been working towards retiring for good so that I can shift fully to the work I've always wanted to do, she said. But it looks like that timeline is way different now. Here she explains how the coronavirus has changed her work and her income, how the perfect storm for sex workers is brewing before the coronavirus begins spreading, and what we lose when we lose sex workers and the services that we provide. Susanna Bresson, how has the, how has the pandemic impacted sex work? Anonymous with a woman. Every sex worker I know is struggling right now. Everyone is out of work and trying to figure out how to scrap, how to scrape together what they can, either by moving to other types of sex work or other side hustles. But I don't know anyone who's found something sustainable. People are trying to gain access to the safety nets, not that it's enough anyway, but things like unemployment insurance aren't made for us. Sex work is a safety net. For my work, because I'm in a smaller city, I would either travel to see clients or they see me when they travel for work, but that income is gone. Wrestling. For escorts, the business was already on shaky ground due to F-O-S-T-A slash S-E-S-T-A. Did the combination, combination of S-O-S-T-A and S-E-S-T-A in the pandemic create a kind of perfect storm for sex workers? Anonymous. It did for a lot of people. Immediately after the sites went down, it was a scramble to figure out how to advertise. There's an assumption that sex work is really easy and just find another site and go back to normal. But that's so far from the case. Every time you post in a new place, there's risk. You have to figure out where clients are looking. You have to send personal information into a black hole of people you hope don't extort you. And even the sites I was used to, I was used to change policies and made it harder to post. Even a year later, people are still struggling. I don't know if it's a perfect storm, but it's a gut punch when we were already doubled over. Breast and keys quantify the drop in income that sex workers are experiencing. Anonymous, it looks different for everyone, but it's pretty extreme. I'm making almost nothing from sex work right now. I've had some guys I've been seeing for years who are great and reached out to check in and send me a little bit of help, which I'm really grateful for. I don't know anyone who's still making a living from sex work right now. I know there are people who are primarily online before, cam performers, phone sex operators, but all my friends are doing in-person work. Uh, breast and how sex workers respond and how effective are these strategies? Anonymous. Some of my friends have tried to move online or change up their online presence, but it's really difficult. It's not just about setting up OnlyFans and watching a bank account explode. Just because there are a lot more people watching porn does not mean there are a lot more people looking for something where you have to participate. Okay, just because there are a lot more people watching porn does not mean there are a lot more people looking for something where you have to participate. It's a whole different kind of marketing to make money doing that. And I know for myself that I'm bad at virtual sex work. 
I also know people have kids who are, who are home now or roommates who don't know what they do. People are trying, but it's really hard. The other big thing I have seen is there's such an outpouring of support from the sex work community. I don't think people realize that there's an incredible sex worker community, not just individuals. A lot of mutual aid funds popped up. And those have been really powerful and people are trying to figure out how to keep doing outreach and offer each other support. Sex workers have always supported sex workers when no one else will, which is pretty often. It's a whole community of people who are hurting in different ways, but it doesn't mean those bonds go away. Wrestling. Are clients still seeking out dates or are they too anxious to book? Anonymous. Some clients are still reaching out, but very few. I have friends who don't have the option to say no to a client right now. So they're taking all the precautions they can and just taking the risk, just like other workers. My clients aren't booking. Most of them are home and can't do anything online. It's not just that there's a health risk, though that's a big part of it. But the circumstances have changed and they can't get away for a few hours right now. The only client who has reached out aggressively is someone I blacklisted who hits me up when something serious happens, like FOSTA slash SESTA, and he thinks I'll be desperate for cash. I haven't responded. I hope it doesn't get to that point. Wrestling. Our sex workers who already expend an enormous amount of often unpaid emotional labor managing their mental health through this crisis. Anonymous. That's a great question. Everyone is doing their best. I think it's the same as everyone else. Some happy hours, phone calls to friends offering space and making an effort to check in. One thing that's really nice about having so many friends who are sex workers, especially now that we're all a little older, been at this for a minute, is that I'm surrounded by people who know how to show love and care and are comfortable doing that labor. One thing that's hard is that a lot of people I know are in the sex industry because we have health needs that we have to prioritize, both physical and mental, which means there's a health crisis on economic crisis, draped in existential dread, just like everyone else, the things we've been using to manage our needs are, are all of a sudden out of reach. One complicated thing that's been on my mind these days is that watching people get really sick and losing people has been so painful. Mourning alone and together strange, sadly, or a community who is not new to remembering and mourning. I both wish we were not, and I'm glad that's not something I have to learn how to do right now. Wrestling, what's it been like for you personally to navigate your way through this? Um, it's been hard. The hardest part is to watch everyone around me struggling and feel like there's so little we can do. I've been donating, asking other people to donate, trying to do mutual aid. It feels like spitting on a house fire. For my work, it's been a serious hit financially. And knowing that this is going to last far longer than we thought a few months ago is really getting to me. I have some savings and some income which isn't going to last much longer. So I'm trying to figure out how to start working again. I'm not quite ready to think about how it's going to feel knowing I was so close to transitioning out, but I know that's going to be really hard. As much as I was ready to stop, it was a job of human connection and care work, so the isolation is palpable. Wrestling. Sex work in the popular culture are often seen by the public in one of two ways. The Cinderella, the Cinderella fairy tale seen a pretty woman or two the street corner prostitute as seen in, say, HBO's hookers at the point. The public tends to not see sex workers as human beings. What do you want people to see and understand about the real lives of sex workers during the pandemic? Anonymous. I really hope these people are heading to meat packing plants with masks and asking the people who work there if they feel empowered right now. No other profession has to justify itself by performing these very polar opposite experiences and to bleed all of the complexity and nuance that is very human out of their lives. If I can convey anything, it's that having these two stories is contributing to a culture which dehumanizes sex workers. It's not passive, it's not neutral, it makes lives harder. 
Not letting sex workers be whole people means we're more isolated from everyone, but we have to constantly swallow that dehumanization. It hurts. Seeing and understanding the lives of sex workers is a privilege to be earned, and it takes recognizing one's biases and doing the work to create a safe, non-judgmental space where people can share. I also want people to understand that it's truly worth it to do so. Braxton, what do you forecast for the future of sex work in the post-pandemic world? Anonymous. I really don't know, but it scares me the most. Things are going to be different in a lot of ways. Some things are going to stay the same. I think one thing to keep in mind is that a lot of things are going digital and a lot more mainstream tech spaces are very hostile to sex workers. Everyone knows someone who's had PayPal shut down their account and take the money. Everyone has dealt with Twitter, Instagram, closing account or flagging something and have no idea what about it caught their attention. The history of technology is that sex builds it and then becomes a sacrificial lamb of it. And when, when it's still legal to fire people because they want sex workers, it's terrifying to think about how long these websites are holding pictures or information trying to think about who's going to find it. Pause. Firing people want sex workers. America can be a gigantic piece of shit. A lot of times. A lot of other times, America is a major fuck up. That's all I have to say. The only thing I'm certain of is that people are going to get really creative and that's going to be painful for a lot for a long time. Wrestling, when we lose sex workers, what they provide, what do we lose? Anonymous, I've had I have had a really large range of clients in my years working. There's something really safe and important about having a place to be vulnerable. And sometimes that needs to be with someone who isn't a part of your personal life. Like everyone else, I've been listening to lots of podcasts and hearing those ads for why right now is important to have a therapist who can hold space for you and everyone in your personal life who's trying to hold it together and doesn't have the spoons to give you that space. Sex work is a space focused on your personal intimate needs. And sometimes desire to that desire to connect to another person without that without the expectation for reciprocating that kind of care or navigating when your needs are not aligned. For a lot of people seeing a sex worker is holding that space of vulnerability. Plus escapism and fun. I have clients I've seen through hard times, many of them carry a lot of responsibility working in their personal lives, and I've got to be the one person where they could say, I'm having a hard time. All I want is to not think about that for a while. Who doesn't need that right now? I hope we don't miss the opportunity to reclaim our imaginations and build the work of our dreams. The worst thing that happened out of all of it is for us to go back to an economy status quo that wasn't working for people especially folks of color, queer people, people with disabilities, migrants, parents, students, people with records, most of us really, we all deserve better. She's right. I have nothing else to add because she spoke my mind for me the entire article. Um... It's just amazing how we feel comfortable doing people dirty in our world. And it just really gives me chills. Um, I'm just at a loss for words right now. Just, uh, just 
Okay, I'm going to do this one. So there's a cemetery life at a forgotten celebrating life at a forgotten cemetery for sex workers at the cross. This will be my last art, but I'll be done for today, all right? At the Crossbones Graveyard, well-wishers light candles and pour out gin for the medieval prostitutes of South London by Deborah Coleman, November 27, 2015, In the UK, we're accustomed to sober monuments celebrating politicians, royalty, and fallen soldiers. Big great blocks of stone with oversized men sat on bronze, bronze horses. By Nat, but now from the belly but transport for London building side in South London, one of the most powerful, colorful, and exciting monuments has risen up celebrating the unlikeliest of British heroes, 12th century sex workers. Crossbones Graveyard is a small plot of land on Red Crossway just off South Watt Street in Borough. The shard skyscraper looms. Overhead in an area now known for expensive sausage rolls and posh coffee. But for hundreds of years, this tiny and assuming site was an unconsecrated burial ground for paupers, prisoners, prostitutes, sex workers. A bronze plaque on the gates reads, the outcast dead turned by thousands of ribbons, photos, jewelry, and gin bottles. The graveyard has always been a highly decorated folk shrine. It lay forgotten for over 100 years until London Underground discovered 148 skeletons in the 1990s during preparations for the Jubilee Line. The Museum of London said at the time these remains were less than 1% of the total number of burials that remained at the site. The most famous exhumed bones became known as the Crossbones Girl, the subject of a 2010 BBC documentary. She is between 16 and 19 years old, was likely a child prostitute and had erosive lesions on her skull from syphilis. Back in the 1100s, the Bishop of Winchester was given the Southern Bank of the Thames. The area was known as Liberty because you could get away with all the things you weren't allowed to do in the city, like go, like go to the theater, enjoy bear bathing, and partake in prostitution. The Bishop even collected, collected cash from Liberty's brothels, giving them some form of protection. In death, he denied the women a Christian burial. When I first heard about that, you go through this period of being very angry about what happened to the people here, says Jacqueline Woodward Smith, a member of the Friends of Crossbones. The group has saved the graveyard from development. Woodward Smith is now one of the people who helps to lead its monthly vigils. The community that has grown up around it, of people that are so accepting of everyone, that's why I like it. I've been in a lot of groups, daughters groups, all sorts of things that you would think would be very allowed, but they sort of coalesce around an idea that everyone has to fit in. Crossbones vigils are held on the 23rd evening. Each month and has attracted a diverse range of the curious, the respectful, and the spiritual for 19 years. Pagans, Christians, the homeless, bankers, sex workers. I'm here at the 138th vigil. It, it is, it's a freezing and dark evening in November, and yet there's at least 24 people still on the road at 645 sharp, walked in incest, burning candles, and throwing gin around like holy water. Last month's event had hundreds because Time Out made it the second best thing to do in London for Halloween. I'm not an entertainer anyway, so I find that side of it quite difficult since we watch Smith. She catches herself getting angry with people who come and talk over the poetry, the songs, the blessings, and teaches me. I was like, remember where we are. And I thought if the geese were here, they'd be these people making a racket. It pricks my it pricks my pomposity all the times, this place. The geese are the Winchester geese, another name for the forgotten men of crossbones, 
Bishop of Winchester's licensed prostitutes who were unworthy of respectable burial. That bishop was a some bitch. The, this gaggle of outcast women were the inspiration behind the epic poem, The Southwark Mysteries by John Crow. Crow is an alias for the playwright performer John Constable, who uses this much more extroverted character to help him push the boundaries of his work. He's also the, he is also the enigmatic leader of many individuals. I spoke to the real John the morning as an individual. The poem you heard me do last night was written 19 years ago in a single night, Constable tells me. He'd always planned to write a, lot, a literary work about Burrow, the place he lived, but he wasn't sure what. Then on one night, 1996, he was drawn to anonymous Iron Gates on Red Cross Way, where he says the poem was waiting for him. The experience of receiving quotations from the poem does not sit easily with him. It took me a few months to even trust myself to goose the unquiet spirit or whatever one frames her. The poem is a Shawsirian masterpiece full of blood and guts, rape and religion, hits out at the hypocrisy of the old city which came to liberty for their advice. At the heart of the work is feminine sexuality. By the way, I support feminine sexuality, which John explains has been regarded for centuries really as the contrary and almost the negation of the spiritual life. The more spiritual dimension of the Southwark mysteries is bringing back human sexuality, particularly recognizing female sexuality, and that's of course female sexuality, as being this hugely creative force. The visual grew out of regular performances of this poem, which others from the group being invited to add their own creative offerings. But can a man be the catalyst for healing the landmark of dishonor only by celebrating female sexuality? Woodward Smith doesn't view gender as an issue there. Woodward Smith doesn't view gender as an issue. There are a lot of women's voices at crossbones. I find it beautiful that a man is so central to it. He's healing the wound between the masculine and the feminine. These vigils have helped save Crossbones after years of campaigning transport from Anaheim to the release in 2014 to Friends of Crossbones. The bank site opens spaces, trust to have a garden on the site. They built a pyramid, pond, and shrine in a beautifully crafted wooden goose wing for shade and shelter. The religious power of visiting the great gates has worked like magic has helped Boston Energy protect the site. Now, 50,000 people visit the site a year to pay their respects to the clergy from Southport Cathedral, Russell Brand and Corpus, looking for an interesting day out. The Woodward Smith, however, the successes are deeper than a land lease. I'm a priestess, it's me, nuns are priestesses with the sex taken out, sex workers are priestesses with the sacred taken out. Two parts of women that have been split apart to bring it back together is the powerful thing for me. Um, um, one group is not better than the other. That's all I'm gonna say. And um, hmm, I think I'm gonna pause. And I'm going to rest.